Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the WAM Podcast. I'm Jennifer McNally, the CEO of the American Society of Safety Professionals and your host for today's show. I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Today we're going to talk about challenging assumptions in the workplace. Joining us today is Diana Stigal, President of the American Society of Safety Professionals and Executive Vice President of Rivendale Safety Consulting in Tucson, Arizona. Of note, as we get started today, Diana was the first woman to be named ASSP's Safety Professional of the Year. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited for today's conversation. We're going to have some fun. I, I think we will, too. Just It's a really important conversation, and the more we have it, the greater the difference we're able to make in the workplace. Excellent. I also will note we are headed into your second month as president of the society. So as our top volunteer leader, thank you. Thank you for your service. Well, thank you, Jennifer. You are making it easy to be in this role. Okay. Well, let's get started. I had the opportunity to attend my first ASSP Professional Development Conference, Safety 2019. And one of our keynote speakers was Nicole Malakowski. And Nicole is a retired U.S. Air Force officer, first woman to become a Thunderbird. You and I sat captive in that front row listening to Nicole as she shared stories and flashed pictures. And I'd be curious from your perspective what impact that had on you as you were listening to her. Well, I thought it was amazing and a home run for, for so many ways, uh, so many reasons. For one, I related so much to her story, not just obviously I've never been an Air Force pilot or a Thunderbird, but the, the challenges that she faced, not just the external biases that were there, but her own internal biases and how her self-talk was preventing her from achieving what her goal had been. You know, she had wanted to be a Thunderbird pilot uh, since she was in her teens. And just every year when the information went out that said, okay, if you're interested in applying, this is the window to apply. And she would just you know, indicated she would just delete the email. And just thinking about the times that, that we self-select to not be part of achieving our goal. So really, like I said, not just the external bias, that, but her internal bias and her own gender assumptions about, well, there's never been a woman in this role. Why would I have the commander? You have to have someone high up in the organization sign off that, yes, this person is qualified and should be considered for this position. And she didn't even want to waste that person's time in asking them to even consider signing the paper. So it was very powerful from that perspective. And there are a couple of things that she said that that really stood out. Actually, most of what she said really stood out. But she mentioned that as she was going through that process, when she finally got to the point where she said, you know what, this is the year I am going to fill out that application and didn't just delete the email when it came through. She had self-selected and was basically saying, you know, I, I can't do this. Why would I waste this person time? And then one of the other senior leaders came in and said, nobody wants to live a scripted life. And by that, she means it's, there are assumptions, there are biases out there, but if we're letting other people tell us who we should be and what we should be doing, we are living our life as part of a script and it's not a script that we're going to write. If we're going to live a scripted life, let it be a script of our own choosing. 
don't let it be a script that someone else has written for us. And the other takeaway that she went to from that was to not write yourself out of the script and to not write others out of the script, because we all do have those biases. We all do have assumptions and we want to be sure we are looking beyond our initial evaluation of someone or initial assumption of someone, because our initial assumption is going to be, are they like us? Do we see something in them that reminds us of who we were at a, at a younger age? It's very easy for us organizationally or just as human beings. We look for people who are like us and that's not right or wrong. It's just, we need to acknowledge that that is our default. And we have to get beyond that if we're truly going to have a diverse and inclusive society and move things forward. I love that couple points of observation with the number of incredibly talented women I've interacted with in technical fields. We do set ourselves to a higher standard. You know, we tend to write ourselves out from a job if we can't check every single box. You know, back to that, what assumptions we make versus... <laughs> In most circumstances, <laughs> if men have 60%, they're all about, I can do this. So they're driving themselves up. We tend to be driving ourselves down. And I think that that warrants a little conversation. I'd be curious, with the career that you have traveled, and important for our listeners to understand that a significant portion of our membership is actually male. Our industry is a reflection of that as well. So to some extent, you within your own career have challenged assumptions. So talk to me a little bit about your own experience and the path that you've taken, frankly, to where you are today and to the top role on behalf of the 39,000 volunteer leaders that you lead globally. I would say the journey actually started when I was a young girl. Uh, my parents divorced when I was young, so my mom was pretty much raising me and my brother and sister by herself. I mean, obviously with support from dad, but it was in the household day to day, it was mom and the three of us. And so what I saw from that was you can do anything. I mean, I, I would see her tackling the home improvement projects that typically gender would say the man of the house would do or the husband would be doing. So I, I grew up thinking that I could do anything. A little uh, naive on my part, but but going in with that assumption really did help. I was part of a gifted and talented program in high school and was selected to attend the governor's school uh, the summer between junior and senior year. And I remember going to the university where both of my parents graduated and they were doing a tour with the people who were there at the program. And keep in mind, all of these individuals were highly motivated, highly competent, very smart, very successful in their high school career. And there was uh, a chairman of the, the chemistry department who said, just off the cuff, women should not be majoring in chemistry. And I'm like, wow, I guess I know what I'm majoring in. You know, I, I like a challenge. So Diana, you just reminded me of a memory. It's probably 20 years old of being in a room and it happened to be a board table and I was the youngest. I was the only female in the room. And at one point, one of the board members looked over at me and sort of started to make the writing on your hand signal, assuming that I was the individual in the room that was there and responsible for taking minutes. And I pointed to the gentleman on my right who happened to be older and have salt and pepper hair and directly at them. But it was that assumption there in all circumstances 
assumptions and biases come into play. And I completely forgot about that, but I remember that moment of self-pride where I was like, no, I'm going to point to the guy to my right who's taking the notes because that's not my job or role in this. And oftentimes, clarifying roles and standing up for yourself is an important part of challenging assumptions, and that actually has risk associated with it. And I think that the risk for women is higher because we put so much pressure on us society-wide if we're in a role that's not traditional. Talk to Mm -hmm. me a little bit about that. What does it mean from a risk perspective and taking chances on yourself? You're right. There very much is a risk. Anytime a woman tries to make her needs known or say, hey, this isn't right, there is a general belief. And, And quite frankly, we can have it about other women as well. So it's not just something that men do to us. Sometimes we do it to ourselves uh, or we do it to other women where if you bring something up, if you want to make the place better, many times it's just viewed as, oh, well, they're just a complainer. They're, they're a problem. And so there is a risk in bringing things up. There is a risk in identifying ways that things can improve. So we, we do need to be mindful of that. But when you dart into that part is that credibility within whoever you're bringing this to, understanding the personality of who you are bringing that change to. And also, if you have data, if you have anything, any supporting documentation, data from other organizations or stories about, hey, you know, I know this may be different than what we're doing, but what the industry is seeing is that you do this, you're able to attract better employees, you're able to improve retention, you're able to improve engagement, you're able to improve productivity. But it it definitely is a risk. The other parts of a risk is asking and and standing out. And because many times we want to just kind of get in our our shell and we, we we want to do a good job, we want to be recognized. Women who say, I, I need recognition or who toot their own horn are viewed differently than men who do the same thing, which is difficult. And it's perceptions that have been in place for hundreds of years that we're, that we're trying to change. When you think about leadership, there's actually a couple of studies that have been done. And the American Association of University Women actually has a self-check on gender bias when it comes to leadership and where they take you through different attributes and different faces and do you see this person as a leader or not? And and that's difficult. So some of the things that people see as leadership skills, you know, they're authoritative and they're strong and they're decisive and, you know, they're confident. Those things are viewed differently in women than they are in men. Mm -hmm. It's changing, but it is still there. So it can be difficult for women to, you know, there, there are too many situations where a woman based on your story, would have just capitulated and taken notes. And at that point, you know, I mean, it's, I've seen it. It's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be in a meeting and there'll be eight men and one woman in the group. And the assumption will be, I need you to take notes versus, you know what? I'm always taking notes. And maybe the assumption is the woman's handwriting is better so they can actually read it later. I, I don't know. That would not necessarily be the case with my handwriting. I think sometimes if we want to really have fun with it, take the notes, make them completely illegible, and then they won't ask you again. Um, 
well, there's another management strategy associated right. with it. So, you know, I was at a leadership conference last week and actually that whole sense of society norms comes at a really, really early age. And we were talking, in this case, it happened to be a group of women veterans transitioning. And it's sort of at about the third grade where you start to realize society's pressures associated with fitting in versus standing out. And I have a great card when I have my coaching hat in of why fit in when you were born to stand out. But that's not really the way society looks at us. If you're standing out, you might be an anomaly or something that's different. I'm curious, and I, I don't want to get off the call today without talking about it in the context of the world of work. So I got, I want to go down the path a little bit for safety professionals. Why is this a liability that we need to be paying attention to? What does it mean for the individuals that we are keeping safe in the environment that we walk into from a job perspective every single day? So there are a couple of reasons for that. One, there are all sorts of studies that talk about how diversity really helps an organization from a leadership perspective. And when we talk about diversity, not just male, female, but really looking at different ways of thought, different perspectives. Uh, there are some recently moved from Minnesota to Arizona, and there is a huge Somali population in Minnesota. And so getting some of the Somali workers involved with safety helps you identify what are those barriers that they have. Uh, how can we make the world a safer place? How can we make our workplace a safer place if we're only taking the perspective of one particular demographic? So, for example, in the manufacturing arena, you have all these machines, you have the operator controls, and I'll go into a place and all of the operator controls are at about five feet, eight inches off the floor. So think about that. You've designed a workplace that is very poor from an ergonomic perspective. And it's not like you can say, we are only hiring people who are six foot two and higher to work in this particular facility. There just aren't enough qualified employees to be able to do that. So really looking at diversity, different ways of thinking, different perspectives. People are going to see different barriers because if everything is tailored to you as, as a demographic, that's great, but you're not going to see those things that are impacting others. So it can be the size of things. I see organizations, I'll go and I'll do office ergonomic evaluations and someone along the line thought, oh, this is the chair we want to buy for everyone. And you look at the chair and it all assumes that people are five foot eight and 150 pounds. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, those, that, those chairs fit everybody. No, yeah, they don't. That, <laughs> that chair greeted me a year ago and I couldn't put my feet on the ground. Um, yeah, that is not the case anymore. <laughs> I can yeah, I mean, sit in my chair and put my feet on the ground. <laughs> yeah, and not feel like Ruth Ann from uh, the... Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's really yeah. looking at what are those barriers? And it can be distances. It can be thinking about how we do things. If there, if there are, are women looking to get into leadership roles, are we having meetings that are at the end of the day when daycare is over? And most women are still the provider. You know, they are the primary person taking care of their children. And if we're planning something out a month, maybe you can make arrangements so someone else could go pick up the children from daycare. But if you spring a last minute meeting, 
you're automatically excluding any women who might want to be part of that or anyone else yeah. who would be taking care of the kids or have another commitment. So really it's well, getting that diversity in, in the workplace so that we can have better, safer, more inclusive environments. Well, and I often in discussions, this it's not just a gender issue. It's an assumption issue. It's male, female, it's family life balance, it's economic circumstances. It's incredibly complex. So I'm going to have one question that I, and I'd say, I want your top insight into this. And I'm an individual that also accepts reality, therefore celebrate and figure it out. And in this, it gets to the context of power, privilege, and who controls the decision-making authority. And if you look at it from a boardroom perspective, and frankly, if you look at it from a CEO perspective, I'm so honored to be a female CEO. There are Oh, so few of us uh, across the board, but, but decisions are made at the top in the structures and we need men to be engaged in those conversations. So if prioritizing what is most important to make sure that those that have influence, decision-making power and privilege to change and drive forward to a more diverse and inclusive environment, in your experience, what is most important in that engagement with men? I think the first is for them to recognize, as you said, that this isn't just a male-female issue. But one of the ways we can help them personalize it is, is this the way you would want your daughter to be treated? What would you want a work environment to look like for, for your daughter? So really trying to help them personalize and internalize that. A couple of easy things is giving credit when credit is due. I've been in meetings and I'll see a woman who will make a comment, but not be very forceful with it. And then someone else, male, will make the same comment and everyone's like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. So we need to be sure that we're giving credit when credit is due. And if we're in leadership roles and we see that happening, we have to point that out and we need to ensure that people are getting the credit that we need. Recognizing that women are also trained, conditioned to not toot their own horn, to find those women in your workplace who are doing a good job and recognize them. Give them the recognition that they're not asking for themselves. Really listening to the women in your environment. It, it can be difficult because we have the bias. Oh, they're just complaining. They're just emotional. You know, emotion is not a bad thing. It is. It helps us be human. But to really try to go into the conversations when someone is bringing something up and recognize they have a valid point. It's not necessarily how you see things, but if it's how they see things, it needs to be addressed. The other, though, is as women in the workplace, we need to reach out to other women. We need to be supportive. There is still a mindset within organizations, you know, there's only one spot for a high level leader who's female in this organization. So I'm not reaching out to you because I also don't want to be seen as only supporting women's issues. I don't want to get plugged into that particular role, but we do need to be supportive. And if there isn't that support group within our organizations, there's nothing wrong with creating that support group. Still look to men and reach out for mentorship, but don't just limit it to reaching out to men, but also you might need a support group so you can talk about what challenges are you facing. Because if it's not just you who has that challenge, 
it has more of an impact when you then do go to the male senior leaders and say, hey, this is what's going on. And then you're not just the one complaining or being perceived as complaining. Yeah, this has been incredible insight, Diana. As you know, as our leader, we have a strong commitment to diversity and inclusion. We believe that that is what keeps all workers safe. And we look forward to continuing this discussion. Also important to note that in our own priorities as it relates to requirements and boards, having this top and center as an issue that the ASSP Board of Directors is focused on. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day today. More importantly, I want to thank you for living an unscripted life. I have observed you in action and to young women at the front end of their safety career, you are shoulders of greatness that others are standing on. So thank you for taking time today. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. To learn more about the American Society of Safety Professionals, visit our website at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. And please be sure to subscribe to the ASSP Safety and WAM podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>